0: Thank you to the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Conservation organizations play an important role in supporting local farms and food efforts nationwide. In the heart of the Ozarks, this land trust is taking land access for farmers one step further where they're offering affordable land leases. You can learn more about the program and the farm location by contacting 479-966-4666 Information is online at www.nwafarmlink.org. That is nwafarmlink.org. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today, my guest is Julie Oberding of Rustic Roots Farm in Alexandria, Minnesota. Their mission is to balance natural resources with a blend of innovative techniques and traditional methods to produce the highest quality products for their customers. Their first-generation farm specializes in hardneck garlic, maple syrup, asparagus, and more using these natural and regenerative methods. Julie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about how you got started in farming.
1: So we are both um, first-generation farmers. My husband did grow up on a farm until he was, I believe, eight years old, Uh We actually started farming as a way to teach our kids how to be self-reliant, how to Mm. um, problem solve, persevere, use creative thinking, and learn how Mm -hmm. to manage their time well. Awesome.
0: Awesome. So it sounds like you came from off-farm jobs. And what, what was the catalyst? Or was there a specific day that you're like, oh, gosh, we've got to do something different. We're going to farm
1: it we kind of just jumped into it we actually both still work our full-time jobs and we Mm say farming as our second full-time job because as you know it's not a part-time thing it's not you know it's not a hobby for us we spend just as many hours in a week farming as we do our actually probably some more hours farming than we do at our day jobs um Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm.
0: So then with the the farming, um, did you have land already that you just started on? Or do you have to do the whole process of finding the right property?
1: We we started very small in farming at first on our current property where we live. We live in a maple forest. The
2: Mm
1: -hmm. maple syrup kind of started as a way to get us outside. The Minnesota winters get very long and drawn out. And so it started, that did start as a hobby and it got us out and Uh um, side and doing stuff so we've been doing that we've been doing that for a number of years then we decided we wanted to go into strawberries but the land that we have is not we don't have enough open sunny area to do that so we started searching and we actually looked at a different piece of property and kind of went back and forth with the owners for about a year and that did end up falling through but what was really Uh neat about it is like when one door closes, another one opens. So when that fell Mm -hmm. through, about a month later, a piece of property we had looked at many, many years before became available. And actually, it's been the greatest thing. So now we have an additional 50 acres of land that we farm. We say that we commute. We drive about 10 minutes from our house, our homeland, down to that. And um, we've been able to, we did start strawberries. We've Mm -hmm. started an asparagus patch. That's where we grow our garlic and we also bale hay. So our kids know what it's like to stack and load those small squares, bales of hay.
0: Yes. Well, if you turn the tension up, those can be way more than the kids do. (laughs) (laughs) When
1: when we first started, people actually were like, hmm, these are a little light. And I said, would you look at my team? I've got to keep them, you know, in that 30 pound range to (laughs) start with. Yes. Because I'm not
0: doing yes. them all by myself. Yes, uh-huh. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then I'm looking at your your Facebook page here. You guys have the garlic is beautiful. I, I really like the garlic bouquet you kind of did in a jar. Now that is super clever and super cute. Yes. Um I, I think garlic obviously is something that way more people need, much more of it in their life. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Uh, So talk to me a little bit about like the start of starting with garlic. Was there like, uh, why did you pick that crop?
1: So we bought, we closed on the farm property in October of 2018. You plant garlic in the Mm -hmm. fall. So we thought we had it all figured out. We had a small garden plot here at the house and we bought garlic according to the online seed calculators to fill up the space. Once we finished planting that, we realized we had filled the entire space and we had half the garlic left so we had to quick till up a spot at the farm and we planted the rest of it and we have grown from i think we started with planting 54 pounds that first year and now we plant around 450 pounds in the fall
0: okay 450 pounds and then talk us through like the the general process of that so you plant in the fall what date do you plant up there
1: we usually plant that first or second weekend in october
0: okay so the this the yeah so like columbus day is pretty much like when people Mm -hmm. typically plant further north okay yeah we're a little bit later because we're much further south absolutely but um yeah but uh yeah that columbus day window all right and then it pretty much just sits there over winter now do you mulch or do
1: you leave it bare we do mulch we use straw mulch okay that helps up here right, especially so with the freeze and thaw cycles yes <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yes down here we've been doing some um, some leaf mulch oh sure uh, we get free leaves in from the county and then we altered a manure spreader so that it can actually uh, just throw them out. So it leaves about a two inch layer on top of the bed and then about a six or eight inches in the path. Um, so that's how we've done that. But so your straw, so I'm assuming that's all hand spread or
1: is that you get a machine for that? Yeah, we have a machine. We have a straw chopper that we use. We pick it up and put it in the back of a, a small mm-hmm. wagon that we drag behind our RTV And then once it all gets out, we use a a big like backpack style leaf blower to smooth it out and get the, the, get it more even. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Interesting. I never thought of that. Okay. But I bet that does work. All right. And then it goes to sleep for the winter and then it starts to wake up in the spring. And do you do any specific treatments or fertilizers in the spring? What do you do to kind of um, help it along in the spring?
1: So we end up doing a couple applications of a fish emulsion. We use an okay. organic fish emulsion and we do a couple applications of that. Um, I should back up and say before we plant, we now plant a cover crop. We till that in. So it's a green manure. And okay. then we add in actual manure too into the mixture. So the soil is, it's well prepared, it's fluffy, and it's full of nutrients right when we do it. So those okay. we hit it a couple of times with the fish emulsion before, you know, the safe, the scapes start.
0: Correct, yeah, yeah. And then I'm assuming you descape when they start to come out? Correct. All right, and then it kind of is just uh, sizing and getting ready to bulb?
2: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, now I see that you have your, um, the crop that you've harvested in that kind of a, a pretty uh, robust room. Is that like the built into your barn and that's just kind of where you dry it or is that kind of like your sorting area?
1: So what we did there this year, we had planted more than the last year. So we outgrew our space where we cured the garlic. So what we did is we completely emptied that shed. Uh, We built some racking because the ceilings in that one, the rafters are 14 foot high. So we built um, some racking so we could actually reach off of a six foot ladder to hang our garlic as it cured. And it okay. still was tight gotcha. in there. You know, it'd be ideal to have a little bit more space, a little more better airflow. But sometimes you just got to, you end up using what you have. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yes. We, this year we had garlic all over the place. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. So then with th- that, um, so you harvest it and then cure it and then you go to markets. Now it, I show, I see a picture here of like a throwback to your first market, um, way better than my first market. We <laughs> had a little card. <laughs> table i think a couple couple heads of lettuce and some dozen eggs um so what was the decision for you guys to go to farmer's markets talk to us a little bit about
1: that so we don't do a ton of farmer's market that picture actually okay. was our first farmer's market the first fall that we had a crop it was the best uh-huh. learning experience for the kids we mm. got everything ready you know you set up early you're early in the morning you get everything set up we sat there i think it, that was a four-hour market we ended up are taking home $50 from that market. It was the greatest uh-huh. thing. Cause at that point it was the age that the kids were constantly like wanting to go out to eat and saying, you know, guys, we can just make it at home. It doesn't make sense to spend that money. And so when they saw it, we were able to talk about what actually goes into production. So yes, uh-huh. we brought home $50, but. Was How much was that per hour? And they divided it by four. And I said, oh, no, you need to back up. It's not just the four hours we sat there. It was the hours planting. It was the hours weeding. It's the hours sorting and trimming and sizing, preparing, you know, peeling Mm -hmm. off that extra layer so that everything looks beautiful. So it was an awesome lesson for them that sometimes you end up working really, really hard and you still, you just make a little bit. And, you know, was that even Correct. covering the cost? Probably not, but it was a good learning experience for them.
0: Absolutely. And obviously, I'm assuming after that, you're kind of, you probably screw a little bit at farmers markets, um, mm-hmm. but it looks like you've shifted mostly, is it online sales now or it festival is. sales? We're, okay.
1: So when we really got into growing is about the time COVID hit. Okay. And in the fall, markets around here are harder to come by anyways And so Uh the first year, I think we did some sales just like Facebook Marketplace. And then on that, somebody from further away had gotten a hold of us and asked the question, do you ship? So the answer was, Uh absolutely, we do. So we hurried up and figured out a process for that. And now we ship all over the country. We're up to 30 states that we've shipped to. Okay.
0: Okay. Very cool, and then with that, it's available on your website. Do you typically ship through uh, USPS or do you have like a do you have a, a specified um, like provider like UPS or FedEx that you use?
1: It depends on the location. If it's within okay the local area, we use a regional carrier. They come and pick up okay. straight from us, and then they deliver yep. direct to doorsteps. If I can't get it within that area, then it's usually USPS
0: okay yeah we should we do a lot of shipping here for um our elderberries and willows and uh now strawberry plants and all that Mm -hmm. and um it's always a fight of which is better and and usps we found we shipped the package to arizona of all places or maybe it was new mexico and it came back undeliverable so like eight days after it shipped it it showed back up here the plants were still alive they weren't looking so hot but they were still alive and uh they, she says, oh, well, sometimes the USPS delivers here and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that's worse than a yes or a no. A maybe um, is no good for me. So
1: it is. Yeah. It's frustrating. Um, we, we had a package one time that was headed to, I believe it was Ohio. And it ended uh-huh. up on a conveyor or rotating like processing plant in Texas. And because oh, gosh. they somehow like ripped off part of the label in transit yes it just ended up stalled out i eventually tracked it down and we were able to it still was it was still good product but it does it makes you so nervous yeah
0: Yeah. and we learned the hard way do not put removable labels on your boxes um well we usually removable labels in our wash and pack for our vegetable production side and someone just grabbed the wrong roll and it, there was literally like one week in shipping that like a dozen packages went missing for that very reason because the labels just peeled right off. So um, yeah, we've had definitely our fair share of shipping horror stories. <laughs> so then with the p- person that's um, shopping you from online, w- where are they finding you? How are they, uh, what your marketing look like for all this?
1: We've built up a pretty good mailing list so our email okay. list, our email customers always get the first dibs on the garlic okay. when it goes yep. live. Um, so that's been our like a really good way to draw. We do that. We do um, some social media blasts on Facebook and Instagram. We mm-hmm. became feature growers two years ago at the Minnesota Garlic Festival. So they run a couple of sites. So our contact information's on there. It's just been a gradual process to get the word of mouth out.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, you're doing word of mouth. And then the festivals, I'm assuming that you do probably help as well. Absolutely. All right. So, talk to me a little bit about like, is there specific garlic festivals? I know I saw something like a garlic stomp, fe- sorry, a grape stomp festival. Oh, sure.
1: Yeah. So, our biggest one is the Sustainable Farming Association of Minnesota has one of their okay. career events is the garlic festival. And that Uh is almost a juried process to get into. They only take so many growers. Growers from previous years are grandfathered in. Then if there's openings, you have to meet, you know, X, Y, and Z criteria. And then it's kind of a ranking system. So we were able Mm -hmm. to get in, you know, we set the goal pretty high to get in and we were able to get in on our first try. And so we've been there for a couple of years. And then we just do a few smaller, um, well, it really wasn't that small, but we do a few festivals here and there. The grape Stop is held really close to our house and their attendance over the three days was somewhere in like the 20,000 people range.
0: So they're not necessarily there to buy garlic, but it's just the number of feet through the festival means a certain percentage are willing to buy garlic and it makes it worth it.
1: Exactly. Yep.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. So I'm assuming if it's a great stomp, then is there actually grape stomping going on?
1: There was, it was actually right behind where our booth was this year. It was really, okay. we had a fun location because we could sit and watch stomping in between. Yeah. It was great.
0: So is Minnesota a, is it a wine grape area or at least that area?
1: Yeah, there is more and more of them in our area. Okay. The one that we were at, they've been going strong for probably close to 30 years.
0: Wow. Okay. Wow. So it's like a, it's a regional thing.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting because you definitely have a niche, um, with your product there. You have basically one, one pretty big focus. I mean, you do a couple different crops. Um, are you typically at something like that? Are you just selling, um, you know, culinary and planting garlic, or are you also selling other garlic products?
1: We also sell, um, garlic powders. We make three different kinds of garlic okay. powders. And then this year we also started into some seasoning blends. So we took the three main garlic powders mm. and then branched off of that and featured each one of them in a different blend.
0: Very cool. All right. So talk us through a little bit of the process of making garlic powder. Cause we've definitely done it. I'm always interested in <laughs> comparing notes. Um, and assuming you're just taking the, the, the grade that's not quite there and um you know peeling in them and is it do you blenderize it or is it a hand chop
1: yeah we run every single you know head and clove through a peeling machine because we want to make sure those peels are okay. off the first yeah. time that we made it we did it all by hand oh yeah that is that's a lot even with the machine it's still quite a bit because our machine is a smaller one. It doesn't like rinse the skins off. So once we get through that, then we have to dunk them in the sink, rinse all the, you know, the, the the husks off and that sort of thing. Then we, um, we grind them, we do a rough chop, put them in the dehydrator. Once they're good and dry, then we pulverize them into powder using uh, a machine.
0: (laughs) Okay, so are you using a, a Vitamix like many of us do? Or do you actually have like a bigger machine that you use?
1: I actually use a Ninja.
0: A Ninja. Okay, mm-hmm. so you are using something very similar. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so this garlic peeling machine you have, is it one of those that has like those paddles and it just runs it through these different paddles or mm-hmm. is it something else?
1: Yeah, it's just, okay. um, it's basically a single chamber with the paddles. And the paddles are made out of like a, uh, a real flexible rubber. And that okay, helps yeah. loosen the skins. And what we found is if we wait a little bit longer to process, then the skins have already loosened a little bit. You know, the, the garlic itself has started oh, to dry out a little bit. They come off a little bit better, but it's still after yes. so many runs through it, they they gum up and there's a lot. Yeah, of, yeah still a lot that's done by hand.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. No, I've definitely, uh, we've definitely done that by mm-hmm. hand too. Um, we do sriracha and obviously the sriracha, there's a, a good sriracha has a fair amount of garlic in it as well. Um, so I think the other week they had to peel 30 pounds and they were telling me, Michael, you've got to figure out something. Um,
1: it's on the, it's on that, dropping, like want yeah. list is something bigger and yes. better to do that yes. part
0: of it. Yes, definitely. Yes, it is. Um, so yeah, cause we're doing we did softneck and hardneck this year. And, and the big thing was I had thought I had ordered my garlic and turns out that email was in the to be sent instead of the sent email. And so they had sold out, everyone had sold out. Cause I was like, I called the company. I was like, where's my garlic. I was like, usually it's here by now. She's like, I don't have an order from you. So anyway, we were scrambling. So we ended up having to scramble from softneck. and we just typically don't like softneck as well for what we're doing. Cause we doing all processing. We want those giant cloves. Um, so yeah, processing softneck garlic for like, uh, for the, it's just a lot of work because the clothes are so small.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about the types of garlic that you grow. Do you grow a, and how do you pick the varieties? Cause I think believe do about, is it 14 varieties or something to that effect?
1: We did a dozen this year. Yep.
0: A dozen. Okay. All right.
1: We do just the hardneck garlic. Um, that's what mm-hmm. we started in. It does well for us, so we figured we're just going to keep continuing in that route. And flavor-wise, we like that better, anyways.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Of the hard and deck, then picking- we do different different subtypes. So we have porcelains and purple stripes, marbled purple stripes, and some rock and rolls.
0: Mm-hmm. And picking that variety was it was you sample a lot, or is it just as you've grown, you're like, well, we should try this one, and then if that one works, you're keep you know keep adding to that.
1: To start with, we had a really hard time even finding any local garlic. So we kind of started with whatever it was we could find. Mm. Um uh-huh. we kept the ones that did well for us. There've been a few that you know were almost on the chopping block and give, you know, if you give them that third year, we found that they will adapt to the microclimate and they'll size up. It, but sometimes it just takes time and you know, there was the red green. It was a variety that I was ready to be done with. After that second year, I just wasn't happy with the yields. And, you know, we had the space. So it was like, all right, I'm just going to throw it in one more time, see what happens. Well, that next year, they were the biggest heads of garlic that we pulled out of the field. So I tell people like, just give it a little time. You know, obviously we we rotate our fields. You don't want to replant in the same spot in four years, but still that The general growing conditions, the soil is similar enough that the garlic does well and sizes up. And then there's been a few that, you know, even after that third year, and I don't know, I think we made up the third year. Like, I don't want to waste much more time on it if it's not going to grow. So there have been other ones we've just discontinued because they don't, they aren't growing well for us. And if they're not growing well for us, they're not going to grow well for the majority of our customers.
0: Correct. Yes. Especially your local people, because mm-hmm. again, that's the, that's how it starts to, you know, adapt to local ecosystem and eco climate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. Down here in Ohio. I mean, I think, I think music and like German white just grow well anywhere. Um, probably not like, you know, zone nine, the West coast, but I, mm-hmm. any place that I've actually grown garlic, they just, you know, always are shining stars. Um yeah, we picked up some seed garlic last year because, again, we couldn't get it from our normal supplier. And some of the cloves were over, I think there were like four cloves or five cloves to a pound.
2: Oh, wow.
0: They were just giant. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I was talking to the grower because I, I called it the grower and said, this stuff's gorgeous. Uh, my cost of, you know, of stuff, my cost per per um, head that year was astronomical, you know, the grow it because but i did get we did get some i think you have as a colossal that you guys call your giant ones
1: Mm -hmm. yeah we colossal and then actually this year we had some that were even bigger than that so we called them my son started calling them the goliath ones and so it stuck and we kept it that was all him making that up
0: yeah goliath okay so how big are your goliath then what size is that
1: our goliath are uh two and three quarter inches or greater
0: Okay. Two and three quarter inches or greater. Yeah. And we always measure this... on
1: the smallest diameter. You know, you'll have Ooh, people that so that's key put them right in there. like this, yes. but we turn them. And if they, if yeah. they can get through the hole in any way, they go, they size down. If they don't get okay. through, All then right. they pass on to the next level.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So these, these were massive. Um and yeah, the size of the clothes was great, but I think that's, you know, it's also what you're going to do with the garlic too. I, you know, I think the thing with soft neck is that's probably more for the people that just have a climate that, that grows better mm-hmm. in, um, because I just, again, I'm sure I'm going to get some haters for this, but I just think soft neck is not as great as hard neck in, in every way. <laughs> that's just me though.
1: I stuck in that opinion.
0: <laughs> all right. All right. I'm back with Susan from the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust, and today we're talking about one of the holes that we see in the market, and they do as well, with the loss of the local wholesale farm. So Susan, with this project you're working on in Northwest Arkansas, you're open to all different types of farmers, but one of the things that you're actually doing a lot of work around is to kind of rebuild the local wholesale market, right?
2: absolutely correct northwest arkansas has a rich history of fruit and vegetable production it was known for its apples it was known for grapes and other types of tomatoes all kinds of really great you know produce but that's been lost over the years for a number of reasons and we recognize that the demand is there and we are just trying to you know help farmers both existing and new understand the potential benefits for um, wholesale markets and institutional so schools and hospitals etc so there's a lot that's happening within our work to strengthen that local food system Um, so we now have a food hub that can help aggregate and part of the work includes a processing facility state-of-the-art that will bring buyers and sellers together and also really benefit food entrepreneurs that want to be, you know, making value-added products. So this is all a piece of the NWA Food Systems Initiative. And, um, you know, our role as the land trust is to help, you know, preserve farmland and then get farmers on that land access. But there's all these other pieces that are going on to ensure farm viability way into the future.
0: Very cool, Susan. And if you want to find out more about the work that the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust is doing and the affordable, stable land leases they are offering, you can go to www.nwafarmlink.org or call 479-966-4666. And you also do education too, with your, um, I like, I think you did like the garlic grower booth at the garlic festival. Tell me a little bit about that. Cause that sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Well, you know, I have this problem sometimes of not being able to say no. So that's how I got into mm-hmm. that. <laughs> yeah. So they, um, they had asked for volunteers and they, they did get some volunteers, but obviously they didn't get enough. So then there was another email mm-hmm. like, Hey, if we put you at the very end of the day, when it slows down a little bit, would you be willing to do it? So I did, I stepped in, took my turn. It actually was a lot of fun. Um, The very first question I got stumped me, but I didn't feel bad because then we passed it along and it stumped a couple other mentor growers, I would call them. Um, And then everything after that was a lot of like, hey, I wanna do this, how do I start this? Some of the beginner type questions. And it it was really fun.
0: Yeah. So now you're gonna have to share that first question. What was that first question?
1: Um, that first question was something about, hey, I harvested all my garlic and I had one head that looked kind of funny, and I can't remember how they described it. They didn't have a picture. They didn't have a whole lot to go off of. Um. Yeah. And what was funny is they had actually they actually work for a very large grower, and I said, well, what did they say? Well, he didn't have an answer either. And then I I was like, well
0: yeah okay <laughs> we i ones. might not either yeah 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 sometimes definitely, you just get a weird one yes I, yeah you're right we've definitely seen some weird ones where like i think they had something where we almost had a clove outside the general clove thing and, like mm-hmm. this little out pouchy almost like a um a hernia on a garlic <laughs> 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 which was kind of funny Um, so I know that is something that we started to see a lot lately. And I think maybe more a decade ago, we started seeing, was it garlic, um, uh, some of these diseases that we started to come in. Is that something that you guys test for?
1: We test every year for garlic bloat nematode. That's one one. that can transfer in infected garlic stock. It's not something you can see with the the naked eye. You have to send Uh it off to the university and different universities Uh do testing for that. Um, and you wanna make sure that if you're going to grow garlic that you're growing clean garlic, you know? Yes. Yes, you can buy from, you know, the neighbor, but how do you know, you don't wanna, cause once you get garlic bloat nematode, it's, it's nearly yeah. impossible to eradicate out of the soil from what I understand. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's not fun. And then like one thing I've seen we've had, and it's one of the reasons why we always bring in fresh seed too, typically is uh, the mites. Have you had to have any of those?
1: We haven't had as much problem with that. Um,
0: I think yeah. part of that
1: is just maybe that it gets colder and things freeze harder.
0: Correct. Yes. That would probably make sense. Yeah. Yeah. We had a grower here locally that had a lot of mites in their product and what we ended up doing. And I gotta, I, I think it worked because our, our, Plants looked pretty good this year is we doused it in uh, vodka. We just took the the cloves and just dunked it all in vodka mm-hmm. um, before we planted. Again, we were desperate. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but um, I, I think everything's in the future. We would like to obviously only be bringing in good, clean seed stock. Um, and that's what we obviously typically do. Um, with our, our seed stock we got now, it's all nice and clean, but, um, but yeah, I think that is, you know, that is another one that is challenging out there.
1: You could have made like some really good Bloody Marys after that or something.
0: I, yeah, I, <laughs> I, we're, not, we're not big drinkers. I mean, that's the funny thing is like this year we actually grew hops and they grew up the side of the house and they were beautiful and they smelled like hops. And the only thing we harvested was a little half gallon jar that we put in tincture. Um, and the rest of the hops are sitting outside there they smell amazing. I mean, I love the smell of like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a nice fresh hop, but, um, they just sat there, which was kind of unfortunate. Cause I'm sure there have been some beer brewers that are like, you know, just really freaking out right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that definitely, um, yeah, we're just, that's just, yeah, not us. We, we actually bring in a fair amount of Alcohol, mostly vodka for all the tinctures we do make. So we do like an elderberry tincture, a mushroom tincture, those there. So we'll buy, you know, 30, 30 big bottles of it. Um, and one of our one of our suppliers is a um, uh, I think he's German Baptist. And I had to leave a check for him after hours and I left it. And he literally had to walk by the entire table of vodka. And I bet he thought we were, you know, had a big problem or something. <laughs> but um uh, yeah. I didn't have a chance to tell him, Hey, this is uh, this is why we buy it.
1: Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that do that as a, a pre-treatment prior to planting. So,
0: okay. So that's common. That is
1: a common method. And yeah. We haven't had to do that, but I, I do know other growers that that is just part of the routine before planting.
0: Yeah. Another thing we did was, so we did that and then we went ahead and dunked them in like a prebiotic and like, you know, some kelp and a couple other things as well, like some, um, some calcium and stuff to try to give them a, you know, like a soaking. Again, I don't know if that's effective too. I'm assuming that they are going to suck that up at least some cause they start to absorb water. Um, have you ever done anything like that?
1: We have. Um, I think we did two seasons ago and And the biggest problem with it for us is then when you go to plant, it's sometimes so cold when we're planting.
2: Now you've got Mm
1: -hmm. wet Mm -hmm. hands in Uh near freezing conditions and it's just not a lot of fun for anybody. But it makes sense that it's giving them a little nutritional jumpstart to get them to make some nice roots prior to the winter freeze. Correct. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, we'll probably still continue to do it. We actually dunked them, pulled them out, and then we blew air on them for the massive fan for like a day. And so we hope that dried it out enough the plant, but um, then you're wondering if you actually did any good, <laughs> but um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I mean, I think growing a good crop of garlic is, and our garlic this year was beautiful. We had some, the hard neck we did have was fabulous. Soft neck. Not so much. And again, I still dislike it. So uh, we won't be doing that again, but the uh, the hardneck was absolutely beautiful this year. So it must've must done something, right? What is your fertility program? Do you have a specific fertility program or is it more just testing what the soil test shows you and then you just add to based on that?
1: So we're constantly just trying to increase the organic matter of the soil. Mm-hmm. And it seems like when we do that, it kind of takes care of itself. We have done Mm -hmm. some soil testing, you know, originally we did. Um, We don't do it every season. We just, we plant a a cover crop of a variety of different things. Mm -hmm. And then we, we mow it off, we till it in, and then we till in the manure. And then shortly thereafter, or a few weeks after, depending on what the timeline works for us, we plant the garlic into it.
0: Gotcha. And I noticed in one picture you do fence. Is that, um, keep things out of the garlic or
1: we yeah this year we put up permanent fencing in the spot that the garlic was that is our main growing field the garlic is eventually moving to a different spot we try to keep one to two years ahead of it Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so we know like it will move and so then next spring a cover crop will go in on top of um we're taking over part of an alfalfa field we're taking that out of production and putting it into garlic production but then even so, we still put temporary fencing up partly because yeah. the before the ground freezes and the straw is down, the deer think that's a great spot to bed down. And oh. their hooves are so sharp that we just don't want to take the chance of them piercing the cloves. They don't. Yes. You, we've never had where they, when we planted in the open, where they've bothered the garlic once it's up. It's just, yeah. if we're going through all that work to plant it we don't want them trumping through it and damaging it before it even gets a chance to become a
2: plant.
0: Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. Interesting, yeah. Thankfully, we're pretty urban and we haven't had that much deer pressure. I mean, we'll get deer coming through every couple of weeks, but it's not like a nightly thing. So we're pretty grateful for that. Um, I noticed you're actually using, in one picture here, you're using a like a dibbler. Do you still use that dibbler that you show in that picture?
1: We, yes, we have used that. And then um, we modified a wheel. So we made a wheel dibler for this uh past season.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It just, so our, as we move forward with projects on the farm, our biggest thing in the past year is trying to find more efficient ways, ways Uh to, our time is probably our like most valuable resource. We're figuring out ways that we can save our time so that we can use the time that's left to do the other things.
0: Correct. Yeah. So that is one way that's made it a little bit easier is that that planting deal. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Now it looks too like you literally just start at one side of the field until and, and then just work your way across the field planting. Is that correct? You don't leave any like cultivation paths or anything?
1: Mm hmm. We, yeah, we basically leave, we do about five, I think it's six rows across. Okay. And then we leave a walking space and then it's another six rows of walking space, but the straw mulch gets blown over all of it. So then yeah. we have the the straw mulch in between like where the walking paths would be.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. um I want to dive back into, you talked to when we first got started about the reason you started the was for the kids. um. Talk a little bit more about that and like what ways are you intentional to make sure that you're using the farm to build that? Because one of the things with the farm is that obviously it can come very overwhelming very quickly and you're out there just trying to get the work done and you probably can lose that teaching aspect. And as I've got young kids, you know, that I'm um, eight, six and two, I want to make sure I'm intentional on that. So kind of share like what's your journey has been around that? What have you learned?
1: So we kind of all have learned it all at the same time, you know, since we are new to it as well, they have been a part of it. They are now 13 and 14. So when Mm -hmm. we bought the farm, they would have been eight and nine. Mm -hmm. And so we started having conversations about, you know, some of the, you know, like, okay, if we do this, you know, and we spend this much on strawberry plants, we need to make you know, we have to sell this many at this price to even break even. Mm. So they're learning some of those financial pieces. They're learning about, um, you know, they got to see when we planted different varieties of strawberries, which ones did well, which ones didn't, which ones tasted better. And so they're learning some about plant and seed selection. Mm-hmm. They, they learned how to drive out there. Um, we have an RTV and they both drive it real well. Now they can back Uh up trailers and all that. Um, A couple of years ago, I was walking by and they were cleaning up some hay to put on their pumpkin patch. So they have their own pumpkin patch. And I happened to be walking by and I said, Oh, Hey, do you want me to back in? So I make it easier for you to scoop it in. And my son just froze and he looked at me and he didn't know what to say. And I'm like, what buddy He goes, well, I have been backing in there. Was I not supposed to be?
2: I was like, "Carry yes.
1: on. I'm glad you know yeah. how to do that." Good, yeah. t- you know, they just they didn't have the fear, you know, they were just willing to jump in and try anything. And so yeah. then 3 years ago, we kind of got them started on their own little pumpkin venture. So they, you know, spent the winter looking at the seed catalogs, picking out which pumpkins and winter squash they wanted to grow. They mm-hmm. gravitated to the weirder, funkier ones. And then, mm-hmm. you know, we helped them till the area and prepare it. And then they planted and weeded and took care of it. And so they've done that the last few years um, where it's all on them. And then the money they make from that goes into their college fund after they save a little bit of money for next year's seeds.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. So you're, yeah. so you're not, It's not only like teaching the work hard, teaching to try new things, but you're also now teaching financial responsibility as well as, you know, stewardship and, um, cost allocating all these great things, um, have they, um, so have they just been as enthused about the farm as you, or has there been times where you've had to kind of like encourage them to go a little, to (laughs) work a little more towards that?
1: Absolutely. Kids are kids. There are times where they don't really want to get up and come and help, but then there's other times where last week was a great example. It was town's homecoming, And Mm -hmm. they knew the Grape Stomp Festival was three days and they were like, well, should we get up, you know, the morning after the football game and come out and help you? And they were all ready to do it. And they actually seem to enjoy doing some of the market events. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has been a really good learning that customer service piece.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Interactions
1: with customers has been great. And they actually are very knowledgeable because they have been there every step of the way. They Correct. know the differences between the different kinds of garlic and they can help people decide what they want to buy yeah. um, in the summertime, you know, when the phone calls were coming in and I was, you know, was at my day job, they're answering the phone, talking to customers. And I get a lot of, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about how well yeah. spoken they are at the ages they're at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so they I'm assuming at this point they're maybe just starting to think about careers. Um, how has working on the farm, you know, impacted any any discussion of that or are they not thinking about that yet?
1: So I think the youngest one still thinks he's gonna be a professional baseball player. So Okay, um, there's well, that. that's always the <laughs> time for that. The older one just entered high school and you know, if you would have asked her before we started the farm, she would have told you she was gonna be a teacher. Yeah. Now she says she wants to go into business and mm-hmm. own her own business. So it's yeah. been really interesting to see that that's opened her eyes to like, Hey, I could do something like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then you also have other enterprises too. She so had the sugar house um, and a couple of different other crops. And I'm assuming those played nicely into the seasonality of, you know, sugaring season is late winter, early spring. I just said, it gets you out of the house. Um, talk about some of the other enterprises you're doing as well.
1: So we were really intentional with that. So we knew we already did maple, you know, like to make maple syrup and wanted to continue with that. And that has grown over the years. We originally thought we were going to be strawberry farmers. So then we knew, okay, okay, maple syrup will go into strawberries Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. after
1: strawberries. Um, would be garlic. The hay ended up falling in the middle there. Mm -hmm. We, the farm we bought, the biggest field was a hay field. And then we yep. converted two of the smaller fields into hay fields. So we bought 20 acres total of hay. And we had worked it out with a neighbor who had equipment at the time, because we didn't have anything. And we Correct. said, if we, if we do the planting, will you um, do the baling, and then we'll split the bales. So we had it all worked mm-hmm. out. We, we rented the no-till drill and put seed in and, overseeded the areas that were sparse and weedy and took care of that end of it. And then the first cutting came and it laid on the ground through two rains over a couple of weeks before they oh, came back to bail it. And even though it was round bales, by the time they had bailed it, it was basically it was it was garbage. Yeah. Um, we had we were able to basically donate it to friends. And so they were able to use what they could, but it wasn't a sellable product. Um, and so that's when we were like, "Well, we can do this. We can do it ourselves." And so that yeah. year, we have my husband. and I both have August birthdays. I think he got the baler for his birthday, and I got the hay rake for my birthday. So we bought some, you know, old used yeah. equipment. We had a friend who is a longtime farmer that helped us get everything up and running. Uh-huh. And so now that kind of fits in between that spring and fall season with the different cuttings of hay.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're doing all this while still working full-time jobs.
1: Yes. Yep. Okay. I know.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. It's absolutely. a, it's
1: it's a lot sometimes, but we, we do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what would you say your biggest advice to young farmers would be someone who's just getting into the, the farming for the first time?
1: I think you need to look into things that you find are interesting to you and something that's motivating uh-huh. to you. We knew we weren't corn and soybean people. We knew we we didn't really want to do livestock. We want to be able to, you know, we wanted to be able to eventually, or at times not have to be there every single day. So we have short windows where we maybe just have to be there once or twice a week. Right now, most of my time is actually spent at our house preparing garlic burgers as they go out. I don't have to go Mm -hmm. feed cattle or sheep or goats or any of those things. Um, So I would say, look for the things that interest you and go in that direction. You don't have to do the things that everybody else is doing. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, find your own niche and uh, just expand it. And that's what you've done. You've done really well with garlic. And then you've added these other products as well. What percentage of your garlic sales do you think those value-added products is
1: now? Quite a, so the actual amount of product isn't all that much, but mm-hmm. the return from that is, is quite high. Um, mm-hmm.
2: For example, yeah. the event
1: we just did, We sold probably two-thirds powder to one-third garlic bulbs. It was just a different market. Oh, wow. It was a convenient. You know, that's a convenience thing. Yeah. It was, those people were there as uh, more of a culinary, you know, there was a few growers, but most people were there because it was kind of a foodie event. And so those things, um, the powders and the seasoning blends went really well. Compared to the the garlic bulbs, and we started Correct. making garlic yeah. powder just because we absolutely we hate wasting things. You know, garlic is a Correct. cool crop in that you can actually sell it three different times. You can sell the scapes, you can sell the bulbs, and then you can sell the powders. Um, we started yes. making the powders because we didn't we wanted to be no waste. Before we even knew that value added was a thing. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um and like with yeah, I would say about a full third, if not a full half now of our garlic doesn't end up as bulbs, it ends up into something else. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing about the powders too is there's nothing like fresh hard neck garlic powder. It's just a it's it's a different product. I mean, we had people who raved for years, oh my gosh, your powder. Because we had powder um and then we didn't have it for a while. And they would always come back, Hey, do you have that powder again? Do you have that powder again? So um, yeah, having that is, is such a, people are just, you almost, um, rabid about that.
1: Right. we now we have to intentionally hold back a certain percentage of our bulbs from sales so that we have enough to make powders from the next year.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so you're right now must be like in the middle of shipping season then for garlic.
2: Absolutely. We're
0: trying to finish up or you're still in the middle of it. Um,
1: yeah. I'd say we're about two, two thirds of the way through our inventory. So it's actually been going very well and and very fast.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you, if you could go back and do your farm over again, what would you say you would uh, change?
1: So probably the biggest mistake we made is we closed in the fall. Planting garlic Mm -hmm. in the fall worked well, but we were so excited in the spring to plant strawberries that we should have waited a year and planted like a, a rye cover crop or something to manage Mm -hmm. the existing weeds that were at the property. The people before us, you know, they didn't do a whole lot of spraying um, and it showed in the weeds Mm -hmm. and we should have paid better attention to that, but we were so excited, you know, want to get those strawberries in and get them going because it takes a while to get them and we also you know we were trying to grow them organically without using any other chemicals and so I'd spent hundreds of hours weeding those fields looked awesome and then the you know the late season weeds come in and before you know it they're taller than you are and just it was like the never-ending battle to get the weeds out of the strawberry patch.
0: Were Were they like the perennial weeds or grasses and stuff?
1: They the were bed. like the perennials, the pigweeds, the yes. thistles. Oh, yeah. yes, yeah. this, yeah. Thistles
0: can be nasty. Mm-hmm. Very nasty. Yeah. And a, a good summer fallow is, you're right, is key to make sure that those disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do annual bed system strawberries here. So we typically plant in the fall. We literally just last week finished up our planting for the year. Um, so we'll plant in the fall, mulch the beds pretty good between the beds and then harvest in the spring. So um, it's probably a little late for you guys to do that now, but, um, yeah, I'm assuming you've, you've probably worked through some of those weeds in another area and you're getting ready to plant some more next year. Or?
1: We planted some day neutrals this season. Um,
0: okay. Yeah.
1: And that the yield has been okay. We're on our third year of drought. So we just really can't catch a break that way either when it comes to some mm, of these things. Yeah. Um, and so next year there will be another open area in the, the main growing field. So it, it might be time to re- revisit the strawberries.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's all the questions I got. Um, Julie, anything else you wanted to share before we go?
1: No, I just, I'm so appreciative that you had me on.
0: Absolutely, no. It's always exciting to hear about other's farms, and I love the mission and kind of like why you guys started your farm to get your kids involved in ag, teach them about that, teach them life lessons. I think, um, I there's so many kids that will, are growing up and do not have the slightest idea about agriculture and how to work hard and how to problem solve. Um, and I think if you can teach, you know, the value of hard work, how to problem solve, and I like this thing, critical thinking. I think your kids will never want um, and uh, and always, you know, always be able to get a job, always be well adjusted into society. So um, kudos to you and your husband for, you know, intentionally thinking that way. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Well, Julie, thanks so much for your time and uh, can't wait to share this with the audience.
1: All right. You have a great night, Michael.
0: Absolutely.